Hey guys, welcome to the Self-Evident Podcast. I'm Mike. It is 7 p.m. Um, I'm going to tell you a little secret. Massey's not here. Uh-oh. But that's okay because you've got me. That's fine. I'll get you through it. We're going to have fun. Let me know. Make sure the audio's up. Make sure everything's good for us. Let me know where you're from. Let me know how you're doing. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know who your best friend is. Why not, right? Tell me who your best friend is. So before we get started, do not forget to go to theselfevidenttruth.com. Check out the website. Don't forget to go get our apparel. I've got a shirt on, Liberty, right? We all love Liberty. Go to 1776truth.store. Check us out on all of the social media stuff. Now, here's something that I want to point out that I kind of I want to talk about just a little bit being personal before we get into all of it. I, Gloria, and Brian, I agree with you. Brian says, great intro music gets me jacked up to listen to you guys. I love the intro music, right? It's just, it's perfect. Um, so one thing that I wanted to talk about. So for the past two weeks, I've actually been on a social media fast. And so I've, I've removed myself from Facebook, from YouTube, from all of that, because what I found was in the morning, especially my time to do a lot of ministry work and, and all the side projects that I have, I was eating it up with just scrolling through my phone. And then I'd be driving in the work truck during the day, scrolling through my phone to find something else to listen to. And it just, it drove me nuts. And one thing that I've found after these last two weeks is how much more productive I've been. And this, this isn't like a, so you should all go on a social media fast. But I just wanted to point out to you that it's it's changed my perspective of how much time I'm spending on this stuff. Now, the one thing that I've found is I spend a lot less time being up to date on the news and being up to date with everything going on around the world. So uh, Kristen had done the news bits for me because I'm, I'm resigning myself to have her do the news bits. And then I'll, I'll usually take a look at the articles she's chosen. And I will be honest, I feel a little bit less prepared. And so I'm in that toss. And maybe you guys have a thought about this. I've, I'm in that toss of, do I continue to immerse myself in all of that realm? Because I need to be up to date for you guys. And it's almost like, okay, I'll put myself in the gap to tell you what's going on. So you guys don't have to immerse yourselves 24-7. But the other question of it is, how good is it for our health? To, to hear all this news constantly, day in, day out, you know, and feel free to leave a comment. Like, how much do you do with self or self? How much do you do with social media? How much do you do with the news? How much are you involved in politics? How much are you not? And the question is, how much are you taking in that you can't really get involved with? That's one of my issues is, is I do the podcast. I do self-evident because that's my way of getting involved. But yeah, we're we're actually going to have somebody on tonight who really got involved in the process, and we're going to kind of talk about that. and And this is going to be an awesome interview. But think about that. Just just think about how much are you taking in, and how good is it for you? How bad is it? And and what's it worth to you? And I'm still weighing that out. I've I've set sixty days for myself, and I'll let you guys know how it's going. I'll keep you updated on this. But one of the things that came across my desk that I didn't realize until it was brought to my attention is let's go to slide number one. Federal judge has ruled that the national eviction moratorium exceeds the CDC's authority. Now, this is great. This has been battled in the courts for months. It's gone back and forth. And the problem is the CDC says, hey, 
we've got the authority to basically tell people, you landlords, you're not allowed to collect rent. And to me, okay, A, the CDC is an unelected bureaucracy. Unconstitutional right there. If we're going to pass legislation, this legislation has to be passed by Congress. Not an unelected bureaucracy, okay? Not some people who were working for the CDC over and over and over and all of that, right? So the article, it, it, the judge said in the article, the question for the court is a narrow one. Does the Public Health Service Act, okay, an act passed by Congress, grant the CDC the legal authority to impose a nationwide eviction moratorium? It does not. So Judge Dabney Frederick of the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia wrote this in a 20-page ruling finding that the moratorium, which was scheduled to replace in place until June 30th, it should be vacated. What's interesting is Brian M. Boynton, the acting assistant attorney general in the Justice Department Civil Division, said the agency respectfully disagrees with the judge's decision, which is kind of expected. The, the Justice Department, they're Bidens, okay? The department has already filed a notice of appeal. Of course, this isn't going to end here. It's going to continue moving its way up. The ruling is one of several conflicting decisions on the issue, which Frederick noted in her decision. In the last several months, at least six courts have considered various statutory and constitutional challenges to the CDC order. The question is, does the CDC have authority over housing? Now, there's been arguments that have been made that this exacerbates COVID cases. Now, I'm kind of skeptical of that whole scientific process in that. Think about that. What they're saying is you paying rent is now exacerbating COVID. But what strikes at the heart for this, in my mind, is that the CDC should not be getting involved in the association, the free association between a landlord and a renter. The landlord should be able to charge the rent that they feel is necessary, and the renter can decide, I can pay it or I can't. Now you'll say I'm harsh because that leads to evictions. Well, why are people getting evicted? Because people are losing their jobs because the government shut down businesses. Now, we have more and more states that have started to open up the businesses and, and allowed people back to earn a living. But there are still states and governments that are telling their citizens, you are not allowed to work. And what makes it worse is what gets into our next article. And I'll tell you why. So slide number two. So Biden is seizing on these disappointing job numbers to make his case for $4 trillion more dollars. And I'll round back to the, the whole renter-landlord idea. Let's look at this. $4 trillion, and it's something that's pointed out before I go to the disappointing numbers is, Biden noted that much of the $2 trillion in the COVID relief bill approved in March is still being distributed. We haven't even given all of it out. Yet now we're saying we need $4 trillion more. There's got to be $4 trillion more. How about you spend the $2 trillion that you already decided we need, and let's see what happens with it. Let's, let's 
put a break on it before we spend ourselves into oblivion, which we already have. We all admit that. And let's see what happens first. Instead of saying, well, we haven't even spent a lot of the two trillion, but hey, we need four trillion more. They're getting us used to it, guys. They're, they're getting us used to just these massive trillion dollar spending bills. I remember 10 years ago, the trillion dollar mark was, was unheard of, especially when Obama did it. A lot of conservatives, you can't spend that type of money when he did this stimulus package after the, the crash. And we, we looked at it and we said, that's an unfathomable amount of money. And now all of a sudden, every spending bill that seems to come out or every stimulus package that comes out, if it's not multi-trillion dollars, then it's not big enough. When did that happen? Let's look at this. So Joe Biden, he was arguing that Friday's disappointing employment numbers are evidence Congress should pass the $4 trillion infrastructure. So what happened was they were expecting millions of jobs. And they got about 266,000 for, for on the jobs report, which that's, that's tends to be about level, maybe a little bit above level. And there's arguing that's going on. So Janet Yellen, the, the Fed chair, has argued that this isn't because of the lockdowns and all of that. This isn't because of the extra benefits, which we'll get into in a sec, this is because, well, people can't get childcare and they can't send their kids to school, so therefore they can't go to work. But what you notice, and this gets into the whole moratorium thing, is states and the federal government are basically paying people above what they would normally earn. And you're noticing this with a lot of lower income jobs that people were doing they're no longer working those jobs because they can get paid by the government to sit. And I, I have friends who own businesses who have run into this problem. They literally cannot get their employees back because the employees say, I make a lot more sitting at home. Why would I come work for you for less? And honestly, I don't blame them. Do you? So what happens is, and this news article actually did say this, $32,000 or less, you're probably going to make more on benefits. And so what happens is you get the eviction moratorium, you get benefits handed out hand over hand over hand over hand. Businesses are shut down. The economy, it's, it's fake in a lot of respects in these areas. It, it's fake. And instead of us saying, let's let businesses do what they need to do, Let's move forward. What's happening is the government is telling them, no, just stay home. We'll pay you. Last week, we talked about the child tax credit, which means I believe under 17, you get 300 bucks for each kid. $300. So if you have three kids, that's $900 a month you are now getting. And they're setting up a system to be able to send you a direct check. That's UBI. That is the start of UBI. Add that on to the benefits, the, the jobless benefits, add that on to an eviction moratorium, add that on to stamp programs and all of that. Why work? Man, it makes more and more sense to me not to work, let alone the $1,400 stimulus check that comes in. 
time after time after time. And what's funny is, so last week we covered this, Google searches for four stimulus check during Biden's speech, they rose 250%, which means people, it's like a Pavlov dog response now. We're trained. As soon as Biden comes on spending bill, we go, stimulus, 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 let alone the child tax credit. This is something that we need to just open up everything stop the massive tax raises and just get back to work. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because it's kind of like, just leave me alone. Let me do what I need to do. And what's frustrating for us is to watch this stuff shove down our throats day after day after day. And then we're told you need to pay for it. And I'm told, no, the rich will pay for it. The elite will pay for it. They need to pay their fair share. Trust me. It never happens that way. It will come back to us. We will have to pay those taxes. We will have to lose out on our paycheck to give it back to the government for the fraction of money that they paid to us. Gloria says the governor of Montana said everyone is going back to work. No more funding. Exactly. Done. Donezo. Over. Bye. Stop. No more funding. Go to work. And it, there was a stadium, and it might even be um, Montana. I don't remember. but. They're looking to pay people who do go to work. You get a job, you get a check. Now, I'm not really for that just because, look, just stop with the payments. Stop with the money, the, the give and take. Let's, let's you know fund you to do this or that. But at least you're getting people to go back to work at that point. You know, I quit my job, collect a paycheck after I go back to work, right? So why is all this happening? Because we were told, A, uh, two weeks of lockdowns, 14 days to flatten the curve. And we're celebrating that over a year now of flattening that curve. We were told herd immunity was forbidden. That was, that was a racist term. That was an awful term. Herd immunity doesn't exist. And now suddenly we're being told herd immunity is exactly what we're going for with that nasty, dangerous word vaccine. So let's go to slide number three. States are scaling back their vaccine orders, which this is good, because what this means is states are caught up. The people who are going to get vaccinated are getting vaccinated and things are trickling down. This means even more so, OK, you've used the, the pandemic as the excuse to keep the businesses locked down. Now you're seeing vaccine orders waning. America is getting vaccinated. Go back to work. Let's let's go back to work, right? Who's with me? Put it in the comments. Let's go back to work, right? So South Carolina to Washington, states are requesting that the Biden administration send them only a fraction of what's been allocated to them. That's good. That's a good sign. More than 150 million Americans, about 57% of the adult population, have received at least one dose of the vaccine. And the funny thing is, we're forgetting the averages and the numbers. If you're over 65, that's where you're really in the dangerous territory. If you're under 65, it's a lot less dangerous for you. Yet we still have 57% of the adult population that's been vaccinated. Which means those who haven't been vaccinated more than likely have chosen not to, which is their risk. If you've gotten the vaccine, the numbers show you are protected. It's, it's, it's almost non-existent in terms of complications from COVID or hospital deaths. Now, 
complications from the vaccine. That's a different conversation. But if we're going to go by the idea of herd immunity, which was awful until now it's good, we're getting there. And it's only going to continue. It's going to continue to grow. But of course, this is a scary sign for the Biden administration. So now they're working on ways, okay, how do we get more people to do it? How do we, how do we get everybody to do it? They want 70% by July 4th. But the states are really kind of going in the opposite direction because they're noticing the demand is, is it's, it's tapering off. So Iowa, they've asked about 29% of their allocated doses. Kansas asked for less than 9%. Uh, counties have been turning down doses as demand plummet. The state has a stockpile of almost 647,000 doses. Connecticut requested 26%. South Carolina plans to order 21%. North Carolina scaled back its request for the past week by 40%. Washington State cut its order by 40%. And even Mayor Bill de Blasio out of New York said, we've got the demand to keep using our supply effectively. New York City is one of those places where, hey, we're going to keep using. That's fine. That's what people don't understand about this whole topic is we, especially it's self-evident, go for it. If you feel you need it, go for it. If you feel you don't, don't. Personal liberty. And if New York has a lot of people who feel they need the, the vaccine, go for it. Let's give you the doses. It's that force aspect that we're watching really carefully. Because there's a difference between say, hey, who needs it can get it and who doesn't want it needs to have it. So health ex experts generally said about 70% of the nation's population would need to be vaccinated to reach herd immunity. We were told when it was natural, it had to be 85%. Biden administration wants to get 70% right vaccinated by July 4th, but it has acknowledged the downward trend. And the challenge to win over people who doubt the vaccine's effectiveness or simply don't want to get the shots. You notice how all of this is connected, especially in our news. It's, it's all connected right now. So the evictions are happen not happening, rather. People are making a lot on benefits. But we need to, you know, push another spending bill. And hey, we can only start opening everything up if you get the vaccine and protect yourself from COVID, which has a point zero zero or point well three point oh two point oh percent death rate, right? Which the average sixty five and over really skews that. This stuff's connected, and it's stuff that you're going to have family members and you're going to have friends who see this stuff and say, see, we need it. See, 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 because they're, they're having a hard time seeing the whole picture cause and effect. And when I want you, I want you guys to research this stuff. Remember that the whole social media thing, news thing, careful about how much research you do go out, get outside, get fresh air, see your family, spend time with them, turn the news off once in a while, because it will eat you alive. But, Make sure that you understand what's going on. And I was thinking about this in the car today. The, the whole spending thing is driving me up a wall. We are spending ourselves into oblivion. And I will continue to beat this drum because what we need are people in office that are willing to try and stop the spending and trying to re, reorient everything so that our eyes are focused on 
what are we actually supposed to be spending money on? And what are we not? What's frivolous? What can the economy do by itself? What can people, when you allow them individuality, when you allow them liberty, what can they do for themselves? Florida has been a great example. And, and once again, I feel so blessed to live in this state because DeSantis has really said, hands off. Let the businesses run. And you can allow the businesses to decide. They want people with masks or not masks. That's, that's up to the business. They can determine that because that's that whole association thing again. And the more that people see this example, especially in other states, I'm, I'm encouraged that other states, their population are stepping up and saying, no, 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 we want to be free. We want liberty. We want to move forward and continue our lives. We want to pick up where we left off. You're the ones telling me I can't open my business. All I want to do is, is do my business. I'm a tailor, okay? I'm a, I'm a photography store owner. I'm a bakery shop. I'm a barber. Just, just let me cut hair. I'll figure out what my risk is. My patrons will figure out what their risk is. And this is something that, this is why we talk so much about getting active and getting involved. And our guest today, Shane Hernandez, got involved. Okay? So if he's ready, Richard, see, he's set to go. So I'm going to introduce him. This is Shane Hernandez, and he's a former state rep, the Michigan House of Representatives, uh, pro-life, pro-Second Amendment, does not like the increase of taxes. He was a former chair of Blue Water Tea Party as well as in a, a Republican Party. He was former House Appropriations Committee chairman. He's considered to have one of the most conservative records in the state house, and in 2020, he actually missed no votes, despite the state's 38 senators and 110 representatives having missed 3,791 roll calls. So this is somebody dedicated to his craft. So let's go ahead and bring him in. Shane, you there? I'm here, Mike. Uh Good to have you, man. Thank you so much for being on tonight. Thank you. Okay. So for our guests, one of the things that you and I had talked about uh, before we got on here was you were originally an architect. Um, so my question begins, you're sitting in your office. Were you commercial or residential architect? Mostly commercial. Okay. So you're, you're sitting in your office, you're, you're designing commercial buildings, that kind of thing. What, how do you get from there to state rep? What happened? <laughs> well, I've always been interested in, uh, in politics. I, I grew up in a home where my dad was uh, on the opposite side of where I am. I'm happy to say my dad's on the same side as where I am today. Really? Uh, my brother and I have brought him around. But uh, so it, it always was a politics was a big interest to me. And if you go to uh, architecture school and I studied uh, sustainability and green buildings at the height of the Al Gore movement. Uh, if you're going to a university and going to say you're a conservative, you better learn real quick how to back that up. Uh -huh. And uh, I had some fun experiences uh, at the university doing that. And uh, when I got out, I kind of realized I'm just the guy complaining. I'm not actually doing anything. And I, I need to figure out how to engage and be uh, effective and started doing that through grassroots activism. 
um, and and had done that for probably I don't know six years uh, while I was uh, working for the architectural firm. So that interest was always there for me. So the grassroots activism was that being a part of Tea Party groups, Republican groups, that kind of thing. Yeah, I uh, um, I think my first real involvement was being chair of the St. Clair County Republican Party. Uh, I think uh, the first meeting I ever went to there, I got elected as chair. Apparently, if a young Hispanic guy walks into a Republican Party meeting in uh, in Michigan, people look at you as a breath of fresh air and will elect you as their chair. And I don't do anything part way, so I uh, I took that on and really got the party involved in the community and uh, and spreading the message and then uh, stepped down to the Tea Party after that. The Republican Party is, uh, it's, uh, it's a beast. <laughs> and uh, I still consider myself a Republican to this day, but the mechanism behind it is just, it's not the greatest mechanism for activism, for truly spreading the message. And I felt like taking that step to the Tea Party really took those reins off and allowed me to, uh, to reach people like the Republican Party didn't. Hmm. So, and, and I, I won't draw you too far into risk on this, but I, I would ask, so the Republican party, and I, I think especially the Tea Party movement, the, the more um, constitutional side of things sees this, but there seems to be a insulation in the Republican party to a breath of fresh air or new ideas or, or moving back to values. Was that something you had to kind of really find from the inside out or, you know, I feel like, in our area in particular, uh, the Tea Party really got involved in the Republican Party. So we were open to those things. But um, the Republican Party has a particular way that their meetings work. And you got to do treasurer's reports and file your finances with the state. And you got to go through Robert's rules. It's not really great, true activism. In fact, we kind of organized it in our area where the Republican Party did kind of that business work. And the Tea Party worked with the Republican Party to do the real activism and education side of it. So we were working hand in hand. It was just, uh, for me, a breath of fresh air to go over to that activism education side. Was that was that a pretty close relationship then between the Republican Party and the Tea Party? Were they? It was uh, a very close relationship. Uh, in fact, uh, Tim Keller is uh, who got me involved in the Republican Party, and he and I are the the two who kind of discovered Massey up in Michigan and have brought him here a couple of times. So to this very day, he and I are friends and we're relaunching uh, an activist group in this area again now. So oh, good. So let's let's go down that trail a little bit, um, because so you architects started to get involved in activism, started to get in the parties. What what was kind of the the process then um, is especially if, if you're starting another activist group. So there are people who they're like, I, I just, I want to start a group or I want to do this. And I'm not give kind of the, the blueprint or the framework of how you go about that or what you do. You know, is it, I'll let you explain. <laughs> sure. You know, when I uh, came into the chairmanship of the tea party, we really, I wanted to bring kind of a, a structure to it. It really was just kind of whatever we felt like talking about this month. And uh, I couldn't even remember the the five points we had, but it was recruiting candidates, uh, you know, activism with local uh, uh, politics, whether it was our school board or our township boards that we just let them go. And we wonder where these people come from. Well, we haven't even been engaged with them in, in years. And that's how we get to where we are on our school boards. Um, so, you know, the, the recruiting candidate part side was the side that really drew me in because the one district I could not find a candidate for was the district I lived in. 
<laughs> and uh, so I had my eyes on two particular guys, um, both who had run before, and they sat me down one day and basically said, uh, one of the three of us in this room is going to run, and it's not us. <laughs> and uh, we're going to get behind you, and you're going to do this. And uh, I had made that commitment to find a, a good candidate for that seat and thought about it, prayed about it. Um, and, you know, the owner of the architectural firm is a, a good, solid conservative as well. And he got behind that push and that helped uh, that I wasn't just completely stepping away. He was supportive of it. And uh, I ended up running a Republican primary against the uh, the son of the sitting state rep and the chairman of the county board of commissioners. And I was just this outsider Tea Party guy. And uh, I won that a three way race by 16 percent. I, I would say they were surprised. Wow. So let's, let's get to that. Let's, let's kind of explore that process. So you, you sit down, you're kind of the victim of pure democracy Two guys voted, outvoted, you, <laughs> you know? Um, so, so you say, okay, so what's the next step with, and, and this sounds boring, but so you file the paperwork, you have to get petitions. Yeah. What's kind of that process? And then we'll get into the whole campaign thing as well. Yeah, so in Michigan, you can either do for a state rep race, you can do petitions or pay $100, uh, which, you know, candidates mix it up. Most of them pay the $100 and uh, get their name on the ballot. And uh, I ran a true grassroots campaign. Everybody will tell you, you need to hire this consultant, that consultant. Um, I didn't hire a consultant. <laughs> I, uh, I brought in people around me that I, I knew through activism and I knew could help. And, uh, you know, one thing I would say to I get asked a lot of times, well, I want to run for office and how do I go about getting ready for that? And I tell people that if you get involved in your community because you want to run, people will see through that. They will sniff that out. If you go out to this nonprofit and, and it's very clear that the only reason you're getting involved in that nonprofit or this organization is because you're thinking about running, get involved in your community because you care about it. And if you so happen to be called the run, then you'll have those relationships. And uh, my wife works for a Christian nonprofit uh, and we're involved in the community, involved with the churches and the nonprofits in this community. And we just put together that network uh, with those organizations. And then you just build on it. I went and got my hair cut at a barbershop in Sandusky one day and found out that was the political hub of the town. <laughs> and uh, I kept going back. I still go back to this very day. And you just build those relationships, build a grassroots network. It, yeah. The state rep race, at least in Michigan, I know districts are, are different sizes. We're about 90,000 residents per district. That is small enough to truly get to every door and, and get to all of the communities uh, if you're really going to work at it. And if you put your name in there as a conservative, don't don't go out and embarrass us. Go out and work hard. Get really get behind it. Don't hide from your beliefs and, and just do it. Yeah. And that's that's something that I I'd really like to get into in a couple minutes of just that idea of we're conservative. So it, it's frustrating because no matter what, we kind of feel like our backs against the wall in terms of our beliefs, and it, which doesn't make any sense to me because we're half, if not more than half of the population in the, in the country. But before we get into that, I, I love what you said about you, instead of going in as somebody who's running for an office and suddenly you're getting connected with these groups, be connected with the groups before you, you even feel the need to run for office, because then you've, you really have that network around you and those people who support you and those people who you want to support 
in office. Um, and, and I, I only read a couple things that you've done, which it was awesome when I, when I looked up kind of your background and the things you've done, how many different, um, different areas that you've been a part of, you know, a treasurer of, of church, your church, correct? Or, or a church group? Yep. Moved on from that church now. <laughs> we could get into a discussion about the United Methodist Church, but I've moved right. on. <laughs> yeah, that's, I would love to have that discussion with you because <laughs> we would have a lot in agreement. Um, but but you were part of different groups and, and you just seem yeah. to be the type of person that likes to have your hands in a lot of different things in order to help. Um, and, and the fact that you found the barbershop that was really kind of the political hub of the area, which it's so true, you know, that in the 1700s, the tavern was where everybody was kind of mingling and talking politics. And, you know, a barbershop's a great place for people to meet and mingle and talk about politics or, you know, your card club or whatever. And so I think that's a lesson that people take from this is start where you're at. And if, if you have a hobby, you have an interest, you have something you're part of, be active in that because that's where you can first move on. Um, so you you kind of build you you coalesce some people around you that you feel are going to help, and you kind of start the campaign. So what what was your process of campaigning for this position? What how did you how did you view this? How did you go about it? What was kind of the thing that you focused sure. priority? Yeah. And, and you really, I mean, you can't run a campaign by yourself. I mean, it, it takes a team and it takes a dedicated team. And uh, I am a, a huge believer in, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the book, Start With Why by a guy named Simon Sinek. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he, there's a there's a great YouTube clip out there called How Great Leaders Inspire Action. And it, it talks about telling people who you are and why you're doing it. Don't go out and tell them your 10 point plan. People don't they should care about those details, but the average voter doesn't care about those details. They wanna know who you are and why you're doing it. And if you tell people who you are and why you're doing it, your mission becomes their mission. And they become not just this volunteer who's doing it because they get paid for 50 cents for knocking a door or something. They do it because they believe in it and they care about it. And uh, that's where I say, don't hide from your beliefs, You know, put them right out there. This is why you're doing it, tell your story. I told my story about my dad believing I mean, we just believed that we were Democrats because we were low income Hispanic and he was a union worker. We had no clue what it meant beyond that. They just had us in their silos and, and that was that. And you tell people how you get out of that. I told people all the time on the campaign trail that my Democrat dad taught me everything there was to know about conservatism without knowing he was teaching me that. <laughs> he taught me the core principles of hard work and, you know, sometimes the, the world knocks you down. And, and get up and it's about how you react to it. It's those real core principles of conservatism, entrepreneurship, and one day for me, it clicked. And But if you go out and tell people those stories, don't tell them, well, first I'm gonna lower the income tax 0.125 points. Like, people don't care about that. You mean um, they're not frothed into great <laughs> by lowering the income tax? <laughs> Now, obviously, I want people who are going to lower the income tax, uh, especially in Michigan. I, I watch you guys in Florida without your income tax. And I see my, our people from here move all the time. And uh, but, uh, you know, they want to know those core values. And I think the left does that really well. 
they sell people on those things and they get you bought in and then we respond with facts figures and pie charts and nobody cares let's so i want to delve into that a little bit just on on the side of it um because that's the do you think that's that's just a part of messaging or because the conservative message is really like you said hard work discipline opportunity uh the idea of liberty and and i'm not trying to just overgeneralize the democrat idea but the the democrat liberal idea tends to be what can i do for you um mm -hmm. how how can i help you how can i give you what you've decided you need in order for you to make the next step do you you feel that's that's kind of a disadvantage for the conservative or conservatives just have not figured out how to truly create a great message to combat that very right. simple idea of hey I'll, I'll give you what you need you know we we haven't learned how to talk about it it's that simple i mean we, you were talking about montana earlier and uh people think we have this belief that it is it's loving to just give somebody something it's not loving to give somebody something it's loving to give give them something and and get them out of that situation and sometimes it's loving to cut them off yeah um and we have to be able to talk about that every one of us that's a conservative has a story a why and we don't tell those stories we are not all old rich white people we weren't all <laughs> born that way but the other side's got people believing that's what we are yeah which it's it's funny i think about how many uh rich white elites are democrats <laughs> and that's yeah. And I always tell people, heck, if you're an old, rich, white person, I want to hear the story of how you got there. I, I, I want to know how to get there myself. Right? <laughs> I, I say the same thing to people. I don't, I don't begrudge somebody and they made a lot of money. I go, how'd you do that? That's, I need to learn something from you. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's and it, I've, I'm with you. Of, of, we've got to figure out the message. So I guess the question is, how did you? what was the message that you really took to your community and how did you convey that properly to where your community got behind you? Yeah. So I, I did have a list of things that I wanted to do legislatively and I put those out there proudly. Uh, but my main message was one of us, just the average guy. And I'm running against this state rep's son who thinks he's the next in line. He would have been the third in his family. And the chairman of the board of commissioners who thinks he went through the usual way to become a state rep and he's the next in line um but i'm the average guy my dad was a factory worker his entire life i've lived in this community my entire life um and heck my dad as a kid was a migrant worker picking cucumbers in the fields tell people about that stuff you're just one of them yeah and, and that was the message we spread that was the theme you saw on every single thing i put that put out there one of us beautiful and that's People connect with that, and and you you are a very um, down to earth type guy, which you you just you present yourself that way. That's how you come across, which is great because you know you get people who they're so practiced that they end up becoming mm -hmm. character. Um, and sometimes I'll watch uh, federal level politicians, and it, it, not to to insult but somebody like nancy pelosi or chuck schumer i watch them and i'm almost like you're you're a character <laughs> you, you don't seem like yeah. a normal person you you're a character and i i think a lifetime of politics where you're trying to be a character you end up becoming one um as opposed to you know the process you took of look 
I'm one of you guys, and that's how I'm going to remain because that's who I am. You come out very different. Um, Right. Be who you are, and then you don't get caught being a contradiction. You don't get caught like Nancy thinking she can go get her hair cut when she told nobody else to get her hair cut. I mean, she doesn't even understand what she's doing when that happens because she is in character most of the time, and she gets caught. Yeah. Let them eat cake, right? (laughs) That's what it feels like. Yeah, and she... Ah, they never get caught. That's what, like they get caught, but they never really get caught. You know, I think that's the most frustrating thing. Yeah. Well, we need a media that cares and an electorate that actually pays attention and sees it. But, you know, Newsom can go out and have dinner while nobody else can. And it's it's sad. So I actually, speaking of, of governors, um, your, your wonderful comrade (laughs) Whitmer. Um, so I saw that you introduced a bill for a lawsuit against Whitmer. Is that correct? Uh, I was the one. So, yeah, when we came to in the state of Michigan, we have an emergency law that uh, the governor can rule for basically 28 days on an emergency, a health emergency or any kind of emergency. And after that, the legislature has to extend that by a resolution um, or she cannot that governor cannot continue to do it. Well, this governor continued to do that without us. Uh, extending it. And uh, so we, on April 30th of last year, which more than a year ago, decided we're done with this. Um, We are not extending and we are introducing a resolution to enter the House of Representatives in a lawsuit against the governor. And I sponsored that resolution. Good for you. I'm from Michigan originally. Um, I'm born and raised. I was in, lived in Grand Haven. Um, and I've got family that still live in Michigan and I'll, I'll call my dad and just, how's it going? <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, it seems every day is a drama up there for you guys. Yeah. It's a, it's a continued fight. That lawsuit actually played out in our favor. Um, but in today's court system took, I don't know how many months while we were still locked down. And then, uh, they basically didn't, they didn't say that the orders themselves were unconstitutional. They said that the way she implemented the orders was unconstitutional. The law she used to do it was was unconstitutional. And uh, so she basically went and found out that you can do it through the Health and Human Services Department as well. And that's how we've been trudging along since then. And we've been pushing back every way possible. I think this term uh, in the legislature, which I'm not a legislator anymore, I, I am the actually the director of strategy for the Speaker of the House now. Um, but uh, I think we're pushing back a lot more effectively this term and using the power of the purse to to move this conversation. This governor's sitting on, I don't know, $11 billion of federal aid that she wants out. Well, you can't get it out without the legislature doing it. Yeah. It's, and I, I've watched from afar, so I'm, I'm not intimate with all that's going on, but it, it seems that the legislature has kind of turned their face against her and all of this. Um, so yeah. Is, is there kind of a, a overwhelming feeling of like, we're done with the crap you're pulling, Whitmer? Yeah, I think there's much more willingness to push. And you know, some some uh, legislators look at polling and even the polling now is showing, yes, we should be pushing back. We we should be fighting and uh, and we're getting little victories. It's frustrating to see it happen at that pace, but at least we're seeing things happen. And uh, you know, then as you see things like, uh, I'm sure you you probably saw that our governor was vacationing in Florida. Uh-huh. And as you see those stories come out, mysteriously, she decides to open the state uh, or open parts of the economy when those things happen to distract. Uh, you know, we 
we've been asking the governor for over a year to put a plan on paper. Who cares if we agree with the plan or not? At least put the goalpost on paper so you can't keep moving it. Yeah. Just so happens that that plan on paper came out the same day her health and human services director was testifying in the oversight committee in response to a subpoena. So it, you know, it buries those things. So I think as you continue to see um, things pop up, we have a new candidate supposedly getting in the race tomorrow to run against her. That is a serious candidate. So I don't know if I'd be surprised to see some more movement this week. Uh, so, you know, the politics really can push things. Uh, so we've got to keep, keep going along. And I know, you know, a lot of people want us to just sit there and, and just fight constantly. <laughs> I don't know that that's effective either. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a difficult decision to make and we just got to keep moving forward. As, as sad as it is, politics seems to be a game of chess. A lot of times, you know, it, it, you're playing your pieces and figuring out the right time, you know, especially if, if you're running strategy, I mean, that's really how you view things. Did you, did you view things more in that mindset while you were, so you ran your campaign? You won the primary. You got elected. Is that really how you came in? Was like, okay, I've got to play strategy, or I'm just gonna you know, bulldoze everybody. So, I, I mean, I tend to be much more of a, a big picture person than a detail-oriented person. I, you know, an architect can kind of step back, look at your needs, and and visualize it, and then work their way through the details. And that's kind of how I look at uh, at the legislative process. I I don't like to just dive into you know, some obscure bill and just work through this process with it. Uh, at the same time, when you come into a legislature, you're given committee positions. You're And uh, I was given the opportunity as a freshman legislat legislator to chair the transportation budget. Hmm. Um, and I take that seriously. I'm going to learn everything there is to know about that transportation budget. I'm going to tour every facility they have, every single asset they have. I'm going to go look at it and understand it. Uh, but you know, that's just your, what is your style? You have legislators who are going to write 20 bills and throw them all at the wall and see which one sticks. And that's not how I am. You you want me to run this, this transportation side, I'm going to know it inside and out. And when that director meets with me, he should be scared about it because I know his department as well as he does. And that's how I took that, that position. I, this may be a dumb question, but is that kind of a rare thing? Uh, um, it's it's probably a mix, um, but you tend to see, uh, you know, in in the state of Michigan, the House Appropriations Chair, which is what I did my second term, that's considered a you know number two or number three leadership position behind the speaker, and uh, I think being that expert in an area uh, that your colleagues have to come to uh, and ask you questions, that that's a natural way to a leadership position. Uh, before COVID happened, the biggest issue in the state of Michigan were our roads and infrastructure. Which so people way? are going home, they're getting beat up on roads. They've been telling Republicans, they've been telling their constituents, we don't need more money, but they've never looked at the details because they're on different committees to know, well, how would we fix it? So next thing you know, they're coming to me asking me, what do I go tell my constituents? What do I, what, what examples do I give them? And you kind of work yourself into that leadership position. I think, you know, quiet leaders who become a resource to their colleagues is, uh, you know, I, I personally, it, it was a path that worked for me. And, uh, you know, then you have legislators who they want their name in the news and there's nothing wrong with that either. There's a, there's a role for that, the bomb throwers, right? Yeah. 
the the but there's got to be somebody who who kind of just smashes yeah <laughs> gets eyes to turn and but i one of the things that i think people can really draw from that is is this idea of of being able to connect and and share information share connection with other people who you know so last week um we had a lady named gloria tucker on who's she's running for school board and when looking through the descriptions of what a school board does you, you realize how much you have to work with the other school board members and so being a person who knows the data and knows the figures and knows knows the information that needs to come into play in order to work with other people that's that's how you get things done so i i appreciate that that there's a lot of times there's there's people who think well i'll run for an office and then i'll just throw bills out that i want to throw out and and you know i'll just be hard-nosed against everybody else who right against me in my party or outside of my party um but having a you really have a servant's heart about the whole thing because you get put into transportation you say I need to know everything about this in order to be able to best serve this position. And I think that's an important takeaway for people is actually be a servant, not just, okay, now you're in charge. No, you're a servant, right? Those are the good leaders that we need. Um, So kind of, kind of round this out. What somebody who's thinking, well, like you did at the beginning, I want to just not be a complainer. I, w- I want to do something, but I don't know what to do. Uh, how do I do this, right? What, if you were looking back at yourself and had some advice or some wisdom to give yourself to, you know, kind of avoid some of those mistakes that guaranteed you made, what advice would you give your younger self before you started on that journey? Yeah, well, I'm an unapologetic Christian, so don't ever <laughs> run for office without prayer. <laughs> and uh, it, don't ever, you know, I'm married for 15 years. And uh, when when you are in office, it will consume your family. Uh, don't ever enter it without that family 100% behind you. Uh, because they, when you get the death threats, <laughs> you're in the home with them. They get them too. And, uh, and they're at risk to that as well. Um, so, you know, I think you build that foundation, right? Do do the people who you know best really around you, your pastor, your family, your your wife, kids, parents, do they really support it? Is this the right thing to do? Um, you know, you got to build that foundation and then go out and build a team that believes in what you believe in. And uh, I think the rest of it kind of builds from there. Um, I don't know if I would encourage people to not go out and hire a consultant like I did. I, Quite frankly, if I could have afforded one, I probably would have. <laughs> I just figured it all out on my own. Uh, you know, there's there's value there, but, you know, go talk to people who've, who've done that before and experienced that before because there are consultants out there that steal your money. Um, there are consultants out there who will change your message. That is, that's a piece of advice I give. Don't ever let anybody change your message. Don't ever let somebody with polling say that, you know, well, this is a better message. The polls say that you shouldn't say that. If you believe it, run on it. And again, you won't get caught in those traps later of, you know, well, I wasn't quite truthful back then because I was looking at this polling. You know, put it out there. Put out there what you believe. There's strategy to it and how you say it, of course. Um, but don't hide from it. 
and uh, don't let somebody talk you out of uh, saying something that you really hold as a core principle. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you so much. Um, Jay, I just I want to thank you so much for joining me tonight and answering some of these questions. You know, I, I totally appreciate it. Um, so any future plans for running? Oh, absolutely not. I, uh, <laughs> I ran for Congress, uh, which is why I'm no longer in the state house. Uh, it was a position that came open. We have the shortest term limits in the country, in the state of Michigan. And, uh, I didn't quite feel like I was done yet. And uh, that congressional seat came open and that was my opportunity to, to continue to do it for a little bit. Um, I ran into somebody who put $2 million of their own money into their campaign and uh, a congressional campaign is a little different. You can't, you can't reach each person individually. You can't get out there. And uh, while we had a, a pretty well-funded campaign and a, a pretty good group, it, it didn't work out. And I will just say that uh, sometimes God has a better plan. And uh, I am I fought to the the last second in that race. I, I truly believe I'd be a better candidate and a, a better member of Congress. And uh, I did everything I could. But at the same time, where I am today uh, and with my family and with work is is a better spot. And I have um, I have found my grassroots energy again, which I had probably lost quite a bit of uh, through being in office. So. Uh, I'm thoroughly excited where I am right now and in getting back into that grassroots side and engaging the community and people who uh, you said earlier, probably more than 50 percent are conservative. I think 80 percent of people, maybe 90 are conservative. They just don't know it. They're like my dad. Um, they they vote one way that doesn't match what they really believe. And nobody's ever reached them and built that relationship. And that's what I want to do. Amen. I love it. Well, God bless you, brother. Thank you so much for what you've done. Thank you for being on the interview. Uh, we would love to have you back again sometime. Yeah, maybe maybe Massey could take the time to be on next time, you know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Just off gallivanting, doing his own thing. You know, beaches, palm trees. It's a Florida thing. You know? Of course. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Have a great night, Shane. You too. Thanks. All right, guys. That was Shane Hernandez. Um, give him some love. Be sure to uh, let him know how much you appreciate him on the podcast. Thank you so much again to Shane. Uh, so we're going to round this out, guys. I, that gives you a little bit of information about, okay, you can do this. If you have a heart for this, you can actually do this. And the biggest step for you is to actually be involved in your community. Don't decide sitting on your couch, net, having never done anything, well, I want to run for Congress. And then all of a sudden start showing up at the Tea Party, shaking hands and going, I'm going to run for Congress. They don't know you. They, they're, they're not well connected to you. Now, I'm, I'm jumping a little bit from what Shana said, but I think this lesson really rings true is get involved in the groups, get involved in what you're passionate about first. And then if the Lord calls you out to start running for positions, you have that base around you and you understand what people actually need, not what they want, what they need. That's more important because you, as a, if you were to run for office, you have constitutional limitations on what you can or cannot do. And your job is actually to be able to tell your constituents, I can't do that. I'm sorry. That's, that's not in my purview. I know you want that, but I can't do that. And it, be sure, guys, 
to get connected, get active, do something. Don't just complain on the couch because you will be very dissatisfied. Pray and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because it may just be being on the board of deacons at your church. Or it could just be you're a chair at a little local tea party. Or it could be that you're part of a school board. Or it could be you run for president someday. Move. Do something. Make a phone call. Write a letter. You can do something. And if you're not sure what to do, support those who are doing something. Give them your support. Not, not just financial, but give them emotional support, motivational support, idea support, feedback, concerns, questions. Volunteer. You can do something. So that being said, guys, thank you so much for joining me. I understand it's a little bit different without Massey. It's okay. He'll be back next week. Everybody loves Massey. He'll be here. Right now, he's palm trees, you know, sandy beaches, uh, pina coladas. What's that, Richard? Mimosas. Mimosas, right? Little umbrellas. Yeah, no. It's, he is taking a couple of days. He's doing something very much needed. He'll, he will be back on the trail this next week. He and I will actually be out at an event. Uh, Copper City, I believe. Thursday, check our calendar. Check our calendar, guys. Our calendar is at theselfevidenttruth.com. Don't forget our merch. I'm wearing the Liberty shirt. You need one too. 1776truth.store. And guys, let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what you want us to talk about. Talk about, ask us questions. That's what we're here for. Don't forget to let me know where you're from. I love you guys. I'm so thankful for you guys. I appreciate so greatly that you guys support us. Do not forget that you can also support us with our monthly program, the Torchbearer Society. You can check that out on our websites. You can make a donation one time or a monthly, get into the Torchbearer Society. Don't forget, guys, this helps us get where we need to go. It is expensive to go on tour. Last tour we did, it was expensive. but. We go to places such as Ohio, Colorado, and Michigan. We get out there. We go to the schools. We go to the community groups. We go to the, the Tea Party groups. We go to the political rallies. We go where we're called. We teach God and government. So support. Help us get there. And darn it, help us so we can get back. I really don't want to be stranded in an airport in Ohio, please. Right? I don't want to be stuck there because ah, we don't have the money. But we do have tours coming up. Go ahead and check out our Facebook stuff. Check out our website. Check out our tours. If you would like to book us, be sure to contact us. Contact Carrie. She will handle it. Other than that, guys, I'm done. We've got it. It's a wrap. So I love you guys. You guys have a great night. We will see you here next week, Sunday night, 7 p.m. Love you guys. Have a great night.